0: These are some of the words that you just sang. It was sin that separated, but your blood has brought me near. You became God and man among us to repair my brokenness. This is undeserved affection. I'm a trophy of your grace, overwhelmed by your forgiveness. There's no equal love. Just the cross is enough. Just the cross is enough. just the cross is enough. Just the cross is enough y'all that 's what this whole series in the book of Galatians has been all about. Just the cross is enough, and just like that song, we can sing that and we can say, yeah i, I 'm there, I believe that that's what that 's what I think. I think the cross is enough for me. The cross is enough for my my identity in Christ. The cross is enough for my forgiveness. The cross is enough for my justification. The cross cross is enough, right? We can sing that. We can say that. We can profess that. But then the question is, are we living it? Is that your life? Is that true of your life? Does your life match up with the song that you just sang? Just the cross is enough. Someone once said, when we die and stand before the Lord. And if the scenario went down like this, and I don't think it will, but if it did, and the Lord were to look at you and say, "You, you know, why should I let you into my heaven? That our only answer should be to point at Jesus. They say, because of him. Because based on me, there's no reason you should let me into heaven. But the cross is enough. See, that's what Paul's been saying. This church has been attacked. It's been threatened. They've been uh, just introduced to, to false doctrine, saying the cross is, is the start, but then you have to do X, Y, and Z. And they've been, uh, these Judaizers, as they're called, they're going there trying to get this church to resubmit themselves to the law, resubmit themselves to a standard of righteousness that is impossible to keep. They're, they're trying to get them to go back to the law. And the only thing the law was meant to do and designed to do was to show us that we are sinners who need a savior. And so Paul's been saying, look, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. The cross is enough. And now we're coming to the end of Paul's letter. This is our last message from Galatians. And Paul actually literally himself picks up the pen to write the end of this. The way things worked back then is Paul was dictating the letter to a guy that's had a title called an amanuensis, just meaning the guy that was writing the letter. So Paul's pacing back and forth in his prison cell, dictating this letter. And as he's dictating it, somebody else is writing it down for him. And then at the end here, in, in verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul says, okay, now let me have the pen because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this off. And so that's where we pick it up in verse 11. It says this, see with what large letters I am writing with my own hand. Some have said that's because Paul was, had trouble with his eyesight. Some have looked at this and said, well, that must have been the thorn in the flesh, right? No, I, don't, I don't think that's it. If you want to get somebody's attention when you're texting to them, what do you do? All caps, right? This is what Paul's doing. He's all capsing at the end of this letter. He didn't have bold. He didn't have italics. They weren't type-facing anything. This is by hand. So he's writing it in big letters so that they understand what his point is, because that's what the, the author of the letter would do. They would dictate it, and then at the end, they would pick up the the instrument, and they would reinforce what the letter's been all about, and they would do that with their own hands so that the people would know, yes, this is what I want you to get. So Paul says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Look at verse 12 again. He says it's those who want to make a a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Now, that's the issue at hand. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But that's the issue at hand, particularly with the Galatian church, is these Jewish Christians, these legalistic Jewish Christians, wanted the the church to, to follow through with this part of the Old Testament law. They were saying this was key to the Old Testament law. It was a symbol of being part of God's covenant people. You guys need to do this as well. And so they were trying to impose that on the church. But notice Paul says there's, there's two suspect motives behind what they're doing here. The first is he says they do it because they want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to boast in you. They want to make their, their track record all about how many converts they've made in those that are going to submit again to the law. They want to be able to go back to Jerusalem, which is most likely where these false teachers were from. They want to be able to go back there and say, hey, guess what? We we made converts of the law of those that were even taught the gospel by Paul, the guy who's anti-law, at least according to them. They wanted to go back there because remember, this is early in the church and back in the book of Acts in chapter 15, verse one, you've got this controversy over this very issue, the issue of, of circumcision. This was a big deal to the old Testament Jews. This was a sign that you were part of the people of God. And now that the church was trying to figure out, do we still need to do this? Do we not need to do this? And so Paul sends a dispatch back to, Paul goes with them, and and they go back to Jerusalem to meet with the elders of the church there in Jerusalem. And they come up and and they talk about this issue, because in Acts 15.1 it says this, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this was still a big issue in the early church. This was, for some, whether or not you were part of the people of God, but the the people attacking the church in Galatia Paul saying look the only reason they're concerned about it is because they want to just be able to go back and brag about the fact that they got you to submit to the law they want to go back and make it about themselves right guys we see that today in our culture we live in a culture of the celebrity pastor and I'll just tell you guys as a pastor that's a battle that I have to fight on a regular basis, right? We live in the culture of, of Together for the Gospel, of the Gospel Coalition. We live in the culture of YouTube. We live in the culture of Twitter fame. We live in the culture of social media fame. And, and just as pastors, it's a battle that we have to fight to make sure that we're not in this to be able to boast in, in, in our own works. And Paul's saying that that's what these guys were all about. But, y'all, we can boast in our own works whether you're a pastor or not, Right? We can boast about, man, I go to this church, and let me tell you, we believe in this doctrine at, at my church. Hey, we, we use this Bible at my church. Hey, we listen to this worship at my church, or we don't listen to this worship at my church. We can make Christianity about puffing ourselves up, can't we? We can make the, the gospel really a servant of us. We can become so focused on the fruit of the gospel that the gospel begins to take a back seat, and the gospel is all about who, guys? Jesus, right? Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus in, in its just content. We're going to go over it here momentarily, but the gospel exalts Christ more than anything else exalts Christ. Why? Because the gospel drives me to my knees, tells me you can't do it, but Jesus did it. Right? Right? And this church, these Jewish Christians that were coming in, focusing on the law, they were distracting from the gospel. They were telling the gospel to take a back seat. And in effect, they were telling Jesus to take a back seat because what were they concerned about? They were concerned about themselves. But there was a second suspect motive. He says, look, they're only doing this in the end in order to avoid what? Persecution for the cross. So yeah, they wanted to be able to boast when they went back and tell everybody, look how great they are because they made all these converts, but they were really doing it in the end because they wanted to avoid persecution. Because if they were preaching a biblical gospel, they would be persecuted the same way that Paul had been persecuted. They would be persecuted the same way that Stephen was persecuted. You guys remember that in Acts chapter 7? Stephen is one of the deacons that was appointed in Acts chapter 6. Well, Stephen's grabbed and arrested and and bound and he's drugged before the, the Jewish leaders. And they're sitting there and Stephen preaches a lights out, knock him down, take him out sermon, right? He goes back through all of the history of Israel and shows how it's all about who? Jesus. And then he finishes and the Jewish leaders are enraged at Stephen. And so what do they do? They all pick up stones and they end up stoning him to death. And so these guys that were coming to the church in Galatia saying, hey, you guys need to really take the, the sign of circumcision. They were doing that so they could go back and be like, hey, we're not preaching the same gospel as Paul. We're not anti-law. Don't come after us with your stones. Put that thing down. Don't come after me because I'm, hey, I'm, I'm with you, man. The law's important. See, these guys attacking the church in Galatia, they were cowards because they weren't willing to just stand up on the cross of Christ and let the cross of Christ speak for itself. They wanted Jesus and. Or even think of Paul's own testimony, right? In Acts chapter 8. What happens? What does the beginning of Acts chapter 8 say about Paul? Where was Paul, as Saul, when Stephen was being stoned? What was was he doing? He was holding the robes so that the guys could get a better windup on the rocks that they were throwing at Stephen. That's what Saul was doing. And it says, and he was in hearty approval of Stephen's death. And then it says that right after that, a great persecution broke out against the church. And then we know the story, right? Paul leaves in Acts chapter 9, and he's on the road to Damascus. And what's he on the road to Damascus to go do? What does he want to go do in Damascus? Arrest Christians. To, to basically sign the death warrant for some believers who were in Damascus. So Paul was one who was persecuting the church. That was taking place. That was going on. And these guys that are attacking the church in Galatia, they're trying to save face with those people. They're trying to save face with the Jews going, oh yeah, yeah, the whole Jesus thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing for us. But, but dude, we like the law. Don't worry about it. We're, we're not gonna tell people not to obey the law. Don't worry about it. We're good with you guys. So, yeah, we're fine, we're fine. See, they wanted a foot in both worlds. But in doing so, And because of their great fear of men, guys, here's what they did. They took the gospel, and they made the gospel not about Christ, but about themselves. Because they made it a tool to boast in themselves. And they also made it about, hey, look, I'm not willing to risk my personal comfort, my personal security, my personal health, my personal safety, in order to identify with Christ. See, guys, that's the opposite of the gospel. So as Paul's writing and as he's bringing this letter to a close, he's again trying to expose these false teachers for what they are. And that is, guys, just honestly, cowards who are more concerned with themselves than they were with Christ. And that is the greatest perversion of the gospel. Our first point tonight is this. Keep the gospel about Jesus. Keep the gospel about Jesus. He's the most important thing, guys the most important thing. Remember what Paul told Timothy, right? As he's staring death in the face, right? What does Paul say? I'm not ashamed for I know, what's the next word? Whom I have believed. Paul doesn't say, I know what I have believed. Paul doesn't say, I know what I've done. Paul doesn't say, I know my track record. Paul says, I know whom I believed. Who did Paul believe in? Jesus, Jesus. Paul's going, I'm about to die. And guess what? I'm not afraid. Why? Because I know Jesus. Guys, we can't get distracted from Jesus by the busyness of everything else that the world wants to throw at us. Or even, guys, honestly, that well-meaning Christians sometimes want to throw at us and say, if you want to be right with God, you've got to do this stuff. Y'all, if you want to be right with God, you have to bow the knee to Christ in faith and repentance. Period. End of story. It's about Christ what does the gospel do? It's the self-crucifying, future-altering, dream-changing, goal-shifting takeover of your life. When it becomes all about Christ, guys, it becomes not about us. And that's what the gospel is. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians four two. He says about the gospel, he says, look, I've renounced. I've denied. I've forsaken. I've said, there's no way I'm going to do this. What? I've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, Paul's going, look, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to make the gospel easy for you to believe because I want you to believe in the actual gospel. He's like, I'm going to let the word of God be the word of God and speak for what it is. And y'all, here's the the reality. Part of what makes the gospel so hard to believe is not that it demands much, but it doesn't demand much. Let me explain. We want skin in the game. And so when somebody comes along and tells us as a sinner, look, if you want to be made right with God, you have to repent from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're going to be forgiven and you will have eternal life. And we're left there going, that's it? That's it? That's all I have to do? Some of our difficulty in wrapping our minds around the fact that the gospel is all about Jesus is the gospel robs us of the glory of our own salvation even. Because it makes it totally about Christ. Totally about Jesus. And Paul's like, I'm not going to tamper with it. I'm not going to modify it. He said, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Christ and him Crucified, Students, I I want us to make sure, I want you to make sure that you are following God's gospel tonight. What is God's gospel? Well, God's gospel says this. First, it says that you and I are sinners along with the rest of mankind. And as sinners, we are alienated. That means that we are separated from a God who is perfectly holy. That our sin separates us from him. God's gospel also says this, that our sin has resulted in this in infinite debt that we owe God. And it's an infinite debt. And by nature of the fact that it's infinite, it's a debt that you and I can't pay. And so what that means is it doesn't matter who your mommy and daddy are or whether they attended this church or that church or whether they were believers or whether you were raised in the church or whether you were sprinkled as a baby or whether they told you when you were three that you're a Christian because you just have always been a Christian. That's not going to be enough in the end. You can't get into heaven on the coattails of anybody else's Christianity. It's got to be yours because you have to deal with God and you have to deal with this infinite debt that the gospel says that you and I have because of our sin and we can't pay it. You can't be good enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't be obedient enough. You can't be knowledgeable enough. You can't anything enough to pay that debt back. But that's the good news is, is that Jesus stepped in and paid that debt. And in paying that debt absorbed all of God's wrath, his anger, his fury against your sin. Somebody paid it for you. The infinite debt, and the only one that could pay an infinite debt is God. So God loved you so much, John three sixteen, that he gave his son to pay an infinite debt for you so that if you believe in him you will not perish but have eternal life that's the answer to your debt this is what the gospel is it's not do it's believe and that's the crux of the gospel is we can be forgiven if we trust that Jesus Christ paid our debt but beyond that guys it's not that we worship a dead savior right we worship a what a living savior he rose from the dead, guaranteeing that us, that you and I, that we will also rise and overcome physical death and live forever with Him. See, guys, this this is the gospel right here. And notice what isn't there. What's not there is, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. What's there is belief, trust, in Jesus Christ as your Savior. This is what was being perverted. This was what was being twisted. This was what was being challenged by these Judaizers. They wanted to add to this. They wanted to say, yeah, fine, the cross or whatever, but you need to also obey the law. Because they wanted to look good in front of a certain group of people. And they also wanted to avoid the persecution that comes along with preaching the cross. But remember what Paul says. I know whom I have believed. It's about Christ. It's not about us. It's not about us. The biblical gospel, guys, is not a beta version waiting on us to improve it and make it better. It's fully sufficient. It's fully sufficient. We need to take it for what it is, as it is. Paul keeps going, though, in verse 14. After he calls out these Judaizers as well, he says, look, they don't even keep the law. They're telling you to do it. They don't even keep the law. But then he turns to to himself, and he says, "They're, they're doing this to boast, guys. And Paul says this, but far be it from me. May I never, ever, ever boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. In other words, he's like, it's, it's not about that. If you're circumcised, fine. If you're not, fine. Whatever. Keep that to yourself. Let's talk about Jesus and the cross. It's like, this is where we need to be focused. And he's like, if I'm going to boast, I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm not going to boast in my obedience to the law. On the flip side, he's like, look, I'm not going to boast that I'm Uh, free from the law either. That's why he talks about uncircumcision here. He's covering everybody here. It's like, what I'm gonna boast in is I'm gonna boast in the thing that matters and the thing that matters is what? It's the cross. take your Bibles and turn over to Philippians chapter three. Paul makes a point over in Philippians chapter three that I think is significant. It it even drives home what we're talking about here. If you're like, where's Philippians? You're in Galatians. Think of God's electric power company, GEPC. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, so Philippians is power. So it's two over from where you're at. Philippians chapter three. There's other acronyms, but that's the one that I always knew. Okay, so look, Paul says this, verse three. He says, look, we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, no confidence in the flesh. That's key. But Paul says, look, if, if anyone's going to put confidence in the flesh, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Verse five, he says, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Why is that a big deal? That's according to the law. Okay, Paul's going to say, look, I, as far as the law is concerned, I've got plenty to brag about, plenty to boast in. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, so Paul's going, dude, if you want to boast, let's go. You want to compare track records, let's do it. You want to compare resumes, I'm ready to go toe to toe with you. Paul's a superstar. I mean, I don't know if we get this, guys. Paul was like, on his way to becoming a big deal in the Jewish community when God saved him. And so Paul's like, if, if anyone wants to boast, if you guys want to boast in, in your pedigree, your spiritual track record, Paul's like, let's go. I can do that all day long. That's what he's saying in Philippians chapter three. But what does he say in verse seven? But whatever gain I had, I counted as what? Loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word, guys, in the Greek is poop, okay? We clean it up in our English language by calling it rubbish because somehow the ESV flipped over into a British mindset for a minute there. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So back in Galatians 6, far be it from me. That's what he's saying here. Look, I'm not going to boast in anything, even though I could, but I'm not going to. Why? Because nothing else matters. It's garbage. It's dung compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's where I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in the cross. Guys, what's your track record that you're tempted to boast in? Paul listed his in Philippians chapter 3. What is it that that you're tempted to think that you're a pretty great person because listed? Maybe it's a possession that you have, and you think, man, I've got this. I drive this car, or I have this waiting for me. Or maybe it's your bank account, and you think to yourself, this is my bank account. I'm pretty sweet, and I'm, I'm pretty well off because, look, I've got this. Or maybe it's your job that you have, or maybe it's a relationship that you're in, or maybe it's Whatever, your parents, your background, whatever it is that you would say, this is what makes me feel like I'm a pretty good person, Paul would say, take it and throw it on the dung heap and exchange it for Christ. Because Jesus is better. Because Jesus is better. But he says that he was going to choose to boast in the what? In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, guys, for us, the cross is a piece of jewelry. Jewelry. Cicero once wrote of Roman citizens, he said, look, the word cross is so debased and so humiliating and so degrading that it shouldn't even be found on a Roman citizen's lips. Think of the, well, don't think of the most grotesque word that you can think of right now. That's not a good thing for a pastor to encourage you to do from a pulpit. But the, the, the word cross, right, it, it was obscene in the context that Paul was writing in. And Paul says, I'm going to boast in that. Guys, to give, give you a picture, literally a picture of what was thought about the cross. This is graffiti that was found around 200 AD in a, a Roman house. And the, the, the words up there says, Alex worships his God. And I don't know if you can tell up there, but what that is, is it's the body of a man on a cross with the head of a donkey. This is what people thought back in 200 A.D. of Christians for worshiping a crucified Savior. This is what they thought about the cross. They mocked it. They thought it was absurd. They thought it was ridiculous. You remember Paul when he says, look, the, the, the cross is foolishness to the world? This is, is an example of that. And Paul says, no, I'm going I'm to boast in the cross, For Paul, he wasn't going to downplay it. He was going to say, this is my greatest source of purpose, meaning, identity, joy, hope. This is everything to me. The cross of Christ. Why? Well, back in Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 27, he goes through the whole idea that, look, we can't be justified through our good works. We can't be justified through the law. We can't be justified through any of that. We need Jesus. And Paul understood that that's exactly what took place at the cross, was our justification, was Jesus dying on the cross for us, and we were justified, we were declared not just not guilty, but now innocent in Christ because of what took place on the cross. And that's why Paul says, I'm going to boast in that. I'm going to boast in the cross. I'm going to boast not on what I have done, but what Jesus has done. And he says, in boasting in the cross, here's what happens. I'm gonna boast and I'm gonna tell you that the world now has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does the cross do? What was the cross intended to do? Execute. That's what it was intended to do. Put to death. And Paul's saying, that's mine. I'm going to identify with the cross. The cross has crucified me to the world and the world to me. The cross executes us. It puts us to death. So Paul's saying, look, at the cross, I die, and Jesus now lives in me. And that's better than any life that I could live apart from him. Paul said earlier in Galatians 2.20, if you remember, I have been crucified with Christ with him. I've been crucified with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. He says, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He's boasting in the instrument of his own execution. He's boasting in an instrument that says, Paul, you are no longer in the center of your existence. You are now dead, and now it's all about Christ. Paul, you are now taken off the stage, and Christ is given center stage. That's what Paul is boasting in here, and that's what we need to boast in too, guys. If the gospel is all about Jesus, and we're going to keep it all about Jesus, for us, that means that we're laying ourselves down at the cross, that we are giving up at the cross, that we are yielding to Christ at the cross, that we are, point number two tonight, surrendering everything at the cross. Surrender everything at the cross. Give it up at the cross. Your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, your hopes, your wants, your desires, your relationships, everything is turned over to Christ. You say, you are not just my Savior, but you are going to be Lord over everything in my life. If more of you means less of me, what did you just sing? What did you just sing? What are the next two words? Take everything. If all of you is all I need, what did you just sing? What are the next two words? Take everything. Did you mean it? Did you mean it? Because again, we can sing, just the cross is enough. Take everything. We can sing that, but are you there with it? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Because here's the deal, guys. Christianity is not you inviting Jesus to become a part of your life. It's you asking Jesus to take over your life. It's not you going, hey, Jesus could be convenient for me. I like the morals. I like the idea of church. I like to be around people that are Christians rather than the the rest of things. Hey, Jesus is self-help because when I'm around the church, I'm a better person. That's not what Christianity is, guys. Christianity is boasting in your execution, in the cross. Is coming to the, coming to the cross, coming to Jesus, going, Jesus, take everything. I'm done. I can't do it. I don't want it. I want all of you. You can have everything that's mine. If it's not something that I need, take it. Take it away. Give me you. Paul's saying, you want to boast in your obedience, your ability, your ability, saying, I'm not going to boast in that. I'm going to boast in my inability, but Christ's full ability. Paul's saying, you, you want to distance yourself from the cross? Really? Is that what you want? Look, I want to embrace the cross. I want to own the cross. I want it to be who I am. It's everything to me. And it's crucifying the world to me and me to the world. What does that mean? What is the, what is the world that he's talking about there? First John two fifteen through 17. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, what's he talking about with the world? Well, he answers, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, these things, he says, are not from the Father, but from the world, and those things are passing away with their desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Guys, Paul's saying, this is what has been crucified to me and me to it, the desires of my flesh, the desires of my eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, what? Sin. My sinful desires, man. God is, is killing me to my flesh and my flesh to me. Romans 8, 12 through 14. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But notice, he says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live crucify the deeds of the body, put them to death, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Guys, this is what led John Owen, the great theologian, to say this, be killing sin or sin will be what? Killing you. Was this verse, put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Guys, this involves, can I just tell you, this involves daily discipline surrendering is not a one-time deal. So if you're sitting out there tonight and you're just struggling with this, wearing it right now inside, internally, you are just stressing because you're going, man, but I, I know I can point to this side of my life and that part of my life and I just know I haven't surrendered that part of my life. Guys, I want to tell you first off, number one, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not saved, okay? And number two, God's pressing in on you and convicting you so that tonight can be the night that you say, okay, I want to give that up to Christ. I want to surrender that area to the Lord. What's that look like? How can I do that? What did Jesus say? Look, when you see sin in your life, what should you do? If your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away from you. Gouge out your eye and throw it away from you. Get radical about this. If the Lord is pressing in on you tonight over an area of your life where you're like, I know I haven't surrendered this to the Lord. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some possession. Maybe it's some entertainment choice that you have. Whatever it may be, if the Lord is pressing in on you, do not harden your heart against him tonight, guys. Don't resist that tonight, guys. Identify that and say, let's let's let that go. Let's surrender to the Lord in that. Romans 12, one and two, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice there, what kind of sacrifice are you presenting yourself as? As a Living sacrifice. And I had one person say this. And I, I'm not, I haven't given it enough thought yet, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you guys because that's responsible, right? But somebody once said this, it's, it's a living sacrifice. And what's a living sacrifice tempted to do? Get off the altar. So this is a daily presenting of yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Because our flesh wants to say, I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to do this. And so it's daily coming back and it's daily battling not to be conformed to this world, not to be conformed to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, not to give in to those things, but to fight those things. It's a daily saying, God, I wanna surrender my life to you. I want you to be my savior. You are my Lord. Reveal to me in my life today where you're not my Lord, where I haven't given you control of my life. And God, I wanna give you that control. I want you to take that control over my life right now. It's daily, guys. It's a battle for the rest of your life. Look, the, the joys of Christianity, there are, there are joys of Christianity right now, but the ultimate joy of Christianity is not made, meant to be found on this earth. What does Peter call us? Aliens and strangers. Oh, by the way, he says, and, and while you're aliens and strangers, your flesh is waging war against you. So here's the deal, guys. It's not like you're an alien and, and stranger here on a, like a work visa, No, you're an alien and stranger as though you've been dropped behind enemy lines and everybody's out to kill you. That's your identity as a Christian in this world. And so surrendering to Christ, guys, is a daily thing that I have to do, that you have to do, that we have to do. And man, I, I tell you what, there have been some seasoned saints, some older believers who I've been there when they've been right on the doorstep to death, and there's a peace that comes over them. And there have been a couple of them that I, I've had the opportunity to talk with and say, are you afraid of dying? And they've said, no, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm so, so done. I'm so worn out from the battle that there is here on this earth that I can't wait to go and be with Christ. But guys, while we're here, it's a, it's a battle. It's a war that we have to fight. And daily choose to surrender to Christ, daily choose to make it all about Him and not about us. Because Paul says, what? Well, circumcision doesn't matter, neither does uncircumcision in the end. What matters is that you are a new creation in Christ. The cross is key to that. Has to be there. Has to be there. Verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, amen. So Paul's kind of issuing this benediction to them at the end of his letter, and he's saying, look, I'm wishing you peace and mercy to those of you that are following Christ. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would experience the peace of God and the mercy of God. And he says, and you know what? those of you that that don't agree with what I've written, he goes, please don't, don't come after me. Don't at me. This is what Paul's saying here at the end. He said, don't at me. Why? Because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What an amazing statement to make. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. There are some weird people that have made this about stigmata. If you guys know what stigmata is, it's the the phenomenon in St. Francis of Assisi was the first one to claim to have had it where you have the actual wounds of Jesus' crucifixion appear on your body. That's not what Paul's talking about, guys. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the marks of persecution. He's saying, look, I I, I bear on my body the marks of my identification with Christ. He's saying, you want to come at me? You want to come at me? You want to argue with me? You want to get mad at me? You want to... Get mad at Siri right now? That's really what I'm, I'm tempted to do. <laughs> Steve Jobs, or whoever the guy is now. He said, you want to come after me? You want to come after me and say I'm trying to make Christianity easy? Come look at my back and see where I've received the 40 lashes minus one three times. Come ask me about when I spent a night and a day adrift at sea. Come ask me about when I was beaten with rods and left for dead. Come ask me about when I was stoned and almost killed. Come ask me about those things. You want to come talk to me about whether or not I'm committed to Christ? Look at my body and examine what's happened he says, I bear. It's the same word that's used when it talks about Christ bearing his cross to Golgotha. It's the same word that's used when Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, bear your cross. It's the same word. Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the marks of persecution. And listen, this is what the Bible's telling us, guys, about being a believer. Second Timothy 3.12 says, if, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he says, buckle up because you're going to be persecuted. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 12 through through 14, he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But no, rejoice. Why, Peter? Why, Why would I rejoice at persecution? Why would I rejoice at suffering and be glad when his glory is revealed? Why? Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's blessings for sharing with the persecution, the suffering of Jesus. Matthew, Jesus even talked about this. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. On my account, notice, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you there's an ironic twist in what paul's arguing here as he closes the letter he's saying look these guys are boasting in marks they're boasting in bodily marks they're boasting in the mark of circumcision paul says you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna boast in another set of marks i'm gonna boast in the marks that show my identification with christ paul's saying my test my my gospel has been proven I'm not trying to avoid persecution. I've experienced it. And I'm still clinging to the cross. Which is kind of that final plea, that final admonition that he's given to the Galatians there to say, and so should you. So should you. Final point tonight, cling to the cross no matter what comes. Cling to Christ no matter what comes. Guys, the temptation to compromise is going to be there. It was there for these people in, in Galatia as these false teachers were coming along. It, it, the, the, the world is going to offer that. And we have to resist because here's the deal. The, the enemy is going to make compromise comfortable. In the world, it's, it's already happening in the world. The enemy is going to make it easy for you to begin to say, you know what, maybe I don't necessarily fully agree with that part of the Bible. Maybe I don't fully agree with that part of the Bible. Because if if you compromise, then the world's going to embrace you. The enemy is also willing to convince you that compromise is right. Oh, well, this is the right thing for me to do, to compromise here. To distance myself a little bit more from Jesus. It's It's the right thing for me to do here. Because it's the loving thing to do. It's the non-judgmental thing to do. It's the open door to share the gospel with this person over here thing to do. See, the enemy is willing to give you all the justification you need to distance yourself from Jesus. The enemy is also willing to compromise you, or to, to convince you, rather, that compromise is normal. And in a way, he's right. It is. It is normal for people to compromise and distance themselves from Christ. It's abnormal for us to cling to Christ. Finally, the enemy is willing to convince you that compromise is expected. Well, what else could you do? What other choice did you have? Of course, you had to, to not speak up there. Of course, you had to ditch that doctrine. Of course, you had to say, No, I don't really believe in that. I guess we have to hold fast to Christ resisting the temptation to flee why if we live or desire to live rather as as Paul says a a godly life in Christ Jesus we will be persecuted but here's the thing I want to encourage you with number one is this persecution is actually a sign that things are going right for you as a believer if you're being persecuted for your faith that's one of the reasons why we're told to rejoice in that why because we are being identified with Jesus and that's a good thing 100% of the time that is a good thing to be identified with Christ It should also provide just a, a, an abiding confidence in your life. And it's also a, a good thing because in the end, there's that reward that awaits us. If we endure persecution, if we cling to Christ, there's a reward that awaits us that's so much better than anything else. Guys, I, I don't know if you were here this morning, um, but the rain forced us inside, and it, Guys, it was awesome. Like it was, I just sat there and the the one word that kept coming back to me over and over and over again was home. And it's not that I was sitting outside over the last seven months thinking to myself, man, I feel like an alien stranger sitting out here in these seats. But there was something different about being back inside this morning. And I just was like, I don't ever want to leave. I don't ever want to leave. We were singing. The room was full of voices. It was loud. It was awesome. And I was just sitting there going, I don't want this to stop. Guys, do you get that that eternity is going to be that turned up to 11? That times an infinite, I mean, like you're going to be there and you're going to be like, this is, I had no idea that I missed this so much which is crazy because we've never experienced it. But you're going to be there and you're going to be like, this is everything. This is everything. And there's not going to be a single thing that your faith costs you here on earth that you're going to miss in that moment or for all of eternity for that matter. Not a single thing. And that's what I hate so much about my flesh is my flesh makes it so easy to forget that. If you're out there tonight and you're like, man, I haven't, I haven't really faced persecution, maybe I'm not a Christian. No, that's not what that means. An untested Christianity does not mean that you're not saved. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to start thinking about it and I want you to start preparing for it. I want you to start preparing for it. Some of you are, are leaving home, some of you already have left home and the umbrella of your parents faith. You've you've left this church maybe to, to go off to school, and y- you've tasted what it's like in, in a different place, and it's, it's hard. Others of you are, are just, you're stepping into adulthood and independence during a time when, guys, honestly, it's not easy to be a Christian, and it's not getting any easier to be a Christian. And so I want to make sure that, that you have believed in the, the, the true gospel, which is that gospel that's all about Christ, that you've surrendered to everything at the cr- cross and that you are committed to clinging to Christ no matter what comes. No matter what comes. It's the best place to be. It's the safest place to be. It's the only place to be if we have a hope of spending any time with Christ in eternity. It's the true gospel. It's all about Christ.